0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on C J 1280 AM in Toronto. It's June 30th, I'm your host, Gabriella Silva-Ponte. Today, we'll be covering stories from what's open this Canada Day, to hashtag TD Union Summer, to issues migrant farm workers are currently facing. But first, let's take a look at today's top news. A man has been charged in the University of Waterloo stabbings that took place earlier this week and killed three. Police identified Giovanni villalba Alman, saying he is a former student of the university who recently graduated. CBC News reports he is facing three counts of aggravated assault, four counts of assault with a weapon, and two counts of possession of a weapon for dangerous purposes. The attack took place in a gender studies class of approximately 40 students on Wednesday. Waterloo Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell said... Thursday at a news conference that investigators have reason to believe that this was a planned and targeted attack motivated by hate related to gender expression and gender identity. Police added that Vilalba Alman walked into the classroom and asked the teacher what the subject was only to attack her with two large knives. Crowell added the 2SLGBTQ plus community, we believe, was targeted sort of broadly and at large. We believe that the class subject was of interest to the subject, and that was the origins of what transpired here. And he said, I know in speaking with police partners across Canada that this has been a troubling and disturbing trend that we've seen, especially this Pride Month. I think we all know there's polarization in society right now, both online and in the real world. And there's conversations that are spilling over into everyday life. CBC reports Villalba Alman had no previous criminal record and there was no online activity that accompanied the attack. Some students tried to escape the attack but were stabbed in doing so. Others threw chairs at the attacker. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wrote in a statement that the stabbings were, quote, horrifying and unacceptable. Villalba Alman is 24 years old. Google announced Thursday that it will be removing Canadian news content from its searches after the implementation of Bill C-18. The new Canadian legislation will compensate media outlets for their coverage. It hopes to help them get more attention as advertising has moved to social media platforms. Parliament passed it last week, but it has been criticized heavily by tech giants like Meta and Google. CBC reports they say it's unfair to delegate the amount of tax on links. Others, like smaller news agencies, are upset that the larger companies will benefit the most. President of Global Affairs at Google, Kent Walker, said, We're disappointed it has come to this. We don't take this decision or its impacts lightly, and believe it's important to be transparent with Canadian publishers and our users as early as possible. The unprecedented decision to put a price on links, a so-called link tax, creates uncertainty for our products and exposes us to uncapped financial liability simply for facilitating Canadians' access to news from Canadian publishers. Companies like CBC and CTV said it's good for social media companies to compensate news outlets for their use of their content. CBC reports Meta has also said that it will block Canadian news content on apps like Facebook and Instagram. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau called this decision, quote, extremely disappointing. He said, Facebook continues to refuse to accept its responsibility towards our democracy by refusing to pay its fair share. Spokesperson for Google Canada, Shea Party, said it does not support the legislation because it, quote, will make it harder for Canadians to find news online, make it harder for journalists to reach their audience, and reduce valuable free web traffic to Canadian publishers. But it may be willing to change its decision, Party said we hope that the government will be able to outline a viable path forward. NDP heritage critic Peter Julian said companies like Google and Meta are quote playing games with Canadian media. CBC reports he said that these same websites have failed to mitigate hate speech and disinformation. Julian said it's ironic to see these ultra rich web giants act so fast to block reliable news information from Canadians when they don't get their way and yet are not as eager to stop the festering hate speech on their platform. He added when the time comes to draw the line and ask them to pay for their fair share Meta and Google resort to bullying tactics showing Canadians their true colors. If they don't like the rules, they won't follow them, even if those rules are in place to protect good quality journalism and Canadians. Rap singer Travis Scott will not be indicted for the deadly crowd search that took place at his 2021 Astroworld Festival. Lawyer Kent Schaefer confirmed Thursday that the Texas grand jury made the decision. Schaefer said he never encouraged people to do anything that resulted in other people being hurt. CTV News reports the festival was packed so tightly, spectators could not move their arms or even breathe. Harris County District Attorney Kim Oggs said, the grand jury found that no crime did occur, that no single individual was criminally responsible. The surge took place on November 5, 2021, killing 10 young festival spectators who ranged in age from nine to 27. Another 300 were injured and 25 were taken to hospital, CTV reports. Police have not made the more than 1,000-page report in the case public, but Chief Troy Finner said they plan to soon. He said, The chief of police is not going to get up here and point fingers at anybody. I respect the grand jury's decision. I simply want people to read the offense report, read the entire investigation, and everybody will see very, very complicated. Finner also announced Thursday that elevated platforms are now required at shows and would be staffed by Houston police, firefighters, and more. CTV reports five others were also not indicted, including festival manager Brent Silberstein. About 50,000 people attended the concert and more than 500 lawsuits were filed over the deaths and injuries at the festival. As Canada Day is approaching us, here is what's open and where you can celebrate the holiday, according to CBC. TTC will operate on a regular Saturday schedule with a few extra buses. It will operate on a Sunday service schedule on Monday. Go Transit will be on a Saturday schedule on Saturday, Sunday and Monday. The LCBO and most major grocery stores will be closed on Saturday but open on Monday. CF Toronto Eaton Centre, Square One Shopping Centre, and Vaughan Mills will all be open on Saturday. Yorkdale Shopping Centre, CF Sherway Gardens, and Scarborough Town Centre will be closed. Toronto Public Libraries across the city will be closed on Saturday, but open regular hours on Monday. You can watch the fireworks on Saturday at 10 p.m. at parks like Ashbridges Bay Park, Centennial Park, Milliken Park, and Stan Wadlow Park. Nathan Phillips Square will host a celebration from noon until 6 p.m., but no fireworks show will take place. The Bentway is hosting an exhibit called Moving Forward, celebrating Chinese communities from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. The exhibit will display the vibrancy of Toronto's Chinese communities through dancing, singing, face painting, and food. Toronto's beaches, public pools, and splash pads will be open on Saturday on mostly regular schedules. Other attractions in Toronto will have specific hours for Saturday and Monday. They are as follows. The Ontario Science Centre will be open from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Ripley's Aquarium will be open from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. The Art Gallery of Ontario will be open from 10.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. The Royal Ontario Museum will open from 10am to 5:30pm. Canada's Wonderland will be open from 10am to 10pm with a fireworks show scheduled at 10pm on Saturday. The Toronto Zoo will be open from 9:30am to 7pm and Simplex Theatres are open during regular hours. <music> Meanwhile, Union Station's Summer Event #TDUnionSummer has returned for its 6th year. The event is hosted by TD Bank and takes place just outside of Union Station on a patio. The event held its first day on Monday. Union Station brand and partnerships manager Alexa Polenz says the event is a way for tourists to get to know Toronto and for financial district employees to enjoy their lunch.
1: So we're here today at Union Summer presented by TD. It's our annual summer festival um, That's it's an outdoor patio and we have free. Daily programming here um, right outside Union Station so it's part of our vision here for the station to provide free public programming and to turn Union Station into an arts and cultural destination so we're really excited to be bringing back our really um, our wonderful patio um, and we have free programming every day so whether it's music um, movie nights um, trivia live karaoke family programming Everything's free and available for people to come out and enjoy our beautiful summer weather. We've had really uh, great reception so far. Everyone who kind of stumbles upon our patio says this is so much fun. It's great green space within the heart of the downtown financial district. It's great for tourists who are coming to Toronto for the first time and need somewhere to to sit and relax and take a moment to breathe before they explore the city. Um, So we'd like to welcome everyone here to the patio.
0: She added that the
1: event has a variety of different partnerships. So today we have Avery Raquel, Um, she's a wonderful artist um, who's programmed with, uh, in partnership with City of Toronto's uh, City Hall Live program. So we work with many different programming partners uh, who are all cultural organizations within the City of Toronto, Um, so we have different slots with different partners. every day. So we have, for example, our Thursday nights are programmed with Lula Lounge, so it's a lot of uh, Latin and Cuban music. Um, We have our DJ program, we have partnerships with uh, Small World Music, with Toronto Blues Society, uh, with TD uh, festivals, um, and a whole bunch of other programming partners as well.
0: I spoke with Avery Raquel, who performed both covers and some of her own songs?
2: Um, I was performing with uh, two lovely musicians, Nick Tataishi and Anthony Borak, and we were singing at the uh, Union Summer uh, b- presented by TD. It was a lot of fun. It was wonderful. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it's been lovely. Um, people have come and gone, and uh, a lot of people stayed, which is really awesome. And um, yeah, it's it's just it's been all positive, all very positive.
0: She spoke about her experience with music and how aspiring young artists can get to her spot.
2: Um, I've been singing since I was four. Um, I have uh, four solo albums out on streaming platforms under Avery Raquel. And uh, I just graduated music school at Humber College, and now I'm off to Spain for my master's um, at Berkeley Valencia. And I'm very excited for that. Um, But music is my whole life, and I'm glad people can share that with me. Um, Don't stop and trust your gut, because a lot of people will try to change what you do, and try to change everything that you are and who you are as an artist. But if you know who you are as an artist, and you're really trying to figure that out, stick with what you know. Built by, built right we'll build right back, fix it.
0: Vendors like Isabella's Mochi Donuts, Lake of the Woods Brewing Company, and more were present. I spoke to Mustache Burger manager Sam Dibrochen.
3: In Toronto, in downtown Toronto, especially during summer when the weather is getting a bit better, you know, people tend to come out, and then in the festivals like this, when there are a few, a few vendors uh, like hanging around each other. Uh, there's gonna be a there's gonna be an opportunity for other people to come and then join us and enjoy the food while enjoying the music as well and enjoying the nice weather. And uh, overall, I'd say uh, it's a pretty nice experience. Like it's it's good for advertising. It's good for uh, do, honestly different different reasons. Um, honestly, just to show the people, show people in GTA like how great we can make the food, and then uh... how they can how we can make the food enjoyable for them and maybe they, can, they could invite us to their parties or events and then we'll see
0: he said the rain made it more difficult to sell the first two days
3: so so far it's been the third day uh... it's been three days so far so the first two days was a bit rainy so we, we did not expect to get as much customers as we, uh, we were supposed to get i'd say but today is the first day that's not rainy and then hopefully we'll see how it goes
0: But owner of Tropical South Chuchi Rivero said the rain hasn't made a change.
3: Actually, forget
4: about, I don't think everybody believes around here that there's rain and thunder. They still show up and we love it. And I'm a tropical guy, so I welcome it. That's liquid sunshine. We were actually chosen, but uh, when they approached, we said that's a great opportunity. What better place to continue our service to the community and is such an amazing place as Union Square.
0: Finally, migrant workers in Canada are dealing with a variety of victories and losses. I spoke to Justice for Migrant Workers' organizer, Chris Ramsarupin and member Tanita Doma, who both described issues migrant farm workers face in Canada.
4: So some of the main issues we've seen um, and heard from workers They begin with the fact that uh, migrant farm workers come to Canada under a closed work permit, which means they are tied to one specific employer, and that work permit um, and their employment determines whether they're able to stay in Canada or not, so their entire immigration status is at the whim of their employer, and that means regardless of whether employers are good or bad their living and working conditions are entirely controlled by their employer. And what we see is when employers choose to um, undertake actions and create conditions in the workplace that are incredibly um, oppressive to workers, whether it's in their housing or their actual working conditions, um, workers have really no recourse because if they complain, they can easily be removed from Canada. So some of the issues that workers have spoken about are, for example, ongoing wage theft where they are supposed to be paid a certain wage, but they're not. Um, Wages are deducted from their salary for um, things that they are not supposed to, such as Internet or groceries. And workers also talk about ongoing health and safety issues, whether it's being told to work with equipment that is clearly not safe or being put in unsafe situations. And in respect of housing, workers report regularly Um, being forced to live in overcrowded conditions, dealing with various pest infestations, maintenance issues. And when they raise these concerns, they're ignored by their employers or they face um, disciplinary action, whether it's being written up,
5: being sent back to the bunkhouse or being sent home there's a mythology uh, that's been developed uh, regarding our immigration system. Uh, we create this idea that migrant workers are coming to Canada as a result because they want to improve their conditions because things are so bad back home in their home countries. Uh, we, we fail to address this long history of both colonialism and the role of um, economic globalization in enforcing people who were farmers to become farm workers or to become landless. So there's a larger global dynamic that's imperative for us to understand why people are coming to be employed under these precarious conditions first and foremost. Number two is to understand the power and balance that exists uh, between workers and employers as a result of the tied work permit, but also within the agricultural industry. Uh, workers do not have the right to form unions. Uh, if you're outside today, today I believe is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, There is we are suffering in Toronto as a result of the, uh, of the forest fires. Um, conditions are pretty hazardous outside. Imagine working 12 hours in these type of conditions amongst heat stress, amongst these these, 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 um, legacies of forest fires, and you don't have the proper protection. And this is not just because workers do not know their rights, but it's because of the power imbalance that exists both within the workplace and within legislation to drive farm workers equal rights as workers in other industries.
0: Their organization is working to mitigate these.
5: There are several components um, that we, we undertake. Uh, so first and foremost, it's trying to organize with workers to talk about these conditions, knowing that in the province of Ontario, they only go to form unions. Uh, so it's exposing these conditions. It's uh, you know, building community support. It's not necessarily about trying to get the air of politicians, we're trying to make sure that the community understands the precarious conditions that workers are facing and to try to, to unpack what the reality of our food system is. Um, a lot of the messaging around food talks about local food, while ignoring the temporary nature of, of, of migrant labor that come to be the backbone of our industry. So it's about um, addressing, organizing, um, engaging in different legal strategies, and trying to put pressure, once again, onto people of power.
0: The Justice for Migrant Workers organization held a rally in Windsor this past Sunday to highlight issues with the Canadian government's vulnerable open work permit.
5: So recently we just had uh, a protest in Windsor, Ontario, and To could talk about what the issues are. Uh, and it was an important uh, important action that brought migrant workers from across Ontario as well as local allies together to, uh, to name the issues that migrant workers are, are facing, uh, but also the particular concerns that our organization has around the temporary foreign worker permit and to get into that. Yes, yeah, so that
4: action took place on June 25th in Windsor, Ontario, and it brought about 40 or 50 um, folks together. That's current and former workers, um, community allies, as Chris mentioned, and members of Justice for Migrant Workers, and it took place at MP IREC Chick's office in Windsor. Although the office was closed, the purpose of the um, rally was to bring these individuals together so that um, the wider community could be aware of what Concerns Uh, workers have been raising about the open work permit for vulnerable workers. That was one of the main um, issues we discussed at that rally because this permit has been um, proposed by the federal government as a way to deal with um, some of the issues that workers have been raising that we discussed earlier, but what happens in reality is it's just a temporary uh, band-aid solution that does not fundamentally address any of those concerns because um, it's a time-limited non-renewable permit and only allows workers to leave the uh, abusive conditions or conditions where they're being mistreated for a short period of time, and then they're expected to find a new closed work permit. So it's not really a solution at all. And that's um, one of the things we discussed at that rally it was a great event. What happened was, um, we had, um, workers, current workers, former workers, and, um, community allies speak at the event. Um, Chris and I also spoke to discuss some of these issues. There was a lot of energy, um, workers and allies were really pumped up about their issues, obviously because they, some of them had been had personally experienced them, but also just, um, forming these great chains of solidarity with different organizations and between workers um, whether they're from different farms or different areas it was uh, a really great opportunity to bring people together
0: the organization delivered its annual report card on the work permit to the government at its rally event According to a press release sent to CGRU, the organization gave the government an F-grade on combating systemic racism, addressing power imbalances, structural change to combat exploitation, access to justice and permanent residence, incentivizing employers to not mistreat workers, provincial support for injured and sick migrant workers, and ensuring dignity, respect, equity, safety, and fairness. DOMA went into detail about the problems with the Vulnerable Open Work Permit and how the government can better those.
4: This open work permit um, for vulnerable workers, it came into effect in June 2019, and as I mentioned, it is a permit that the federal government um, brought in in response to workers, including Justice for Migrant Workers, concerns about their longstanding issues with the program, Um, the fact that it's a closed work permit that workers come to Canada on, and then the, the working living conditions that workers are expected to to live under while they're in Canada. And so the federal government suggested this permit as a way for workers to leave those environments. But the problem is um, this vulnerable work permit is time limited it's only issued for about a year and sometimes even less than that and it's only able to be issued once so once the permit ends that's it workers are expected to find a new close work permit again putting themselves into the same situation that they were trying to leave and it doesn't provide any access to permanent residents this is really just a transitional measure and it is highly individualized so if there are multiple people at a farm that are dealing with the same concern they would each have to individually apply for a permit and the employer is free to continue operating the way that they had before there's no um, accountability for employers who are treating workers in this way and the onus is placed on workers to complain about their employers And then, of course, there's a number of access issues with the permit itself, um, starting with the fact that it's an online application. Um, It expects workers to know English. It expects workers to be able to provide proof of the allegations that they're making against employers, which is really difficult to do when, as we mentioned before, workers can simply be removed from Canada, um, repatriated to their home countries as soon as they raise any concern. So the, the open work permit really shows that the federal government has not addressed really any of the concerns that workers have been raising because there's no possible way for them to really um, meaningfully work in a safe and dignified way in Canada. Well, we've been calling for permanent status for workers and that means the freedom to move and stay for workers and their families so that they're able to stay together and work um, freely as any other Canadian would, although um, many have argued that the temporary nature of the program means that workers shouldn't be able to be here permanently. The fact is that many, many migrant farm workers come here for years upon years, decades. Um, We know workers who've been here for 20, 30 years, who've been coming every single year. And so they should have permanent status because they've been contributing to the Canadian agricultural industry that's making billions of dollars off of them um, for, for many, many years. So we've been calling for permanent status and for permanent status this means that workers are better able to fight for the working and living conditions that they should have, that they shouldn't have to fight for. Uh, obviously there are many other concerns that we have, but for the federal government in terms of immigration, permanent status is um, one of the things that we we're calling for.
0: Recently, the Ontario Provincial Police destroyed 96 DNA samples that were taken from migrant farm workers, predominantly from Jamaica and Trinidad and Tobago. According to a press release sent to CGRU, the workers were coerced by police forces into doing so in 2013. A class action lawsuit was later pursued and won just last year. Ramsarupin described the event in depth.
5: So in 2013, there was a uh, sexual assault that happened outside of the Tilsonburg area in a community called Bayham, Ontario. Uh, the victim provided a description of who they were looking for. The Ontario Provincial Police, which is a police force of the region, uh, they basically took any black and brown migrant worker, uh, irrespective of the description of the person they were looking for, they coerced them to get their DNA with the help of the assistance of the employers. Uh, they promised that the DNA samples would be destroyed. This, of course, was a lie. Um, so the, so we, in 2015, we launched an um, application with the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario uh, claiming that the way that the DNA samples was collected was uh, racist, uh, was discriminating against this group of workers. Uh, there was also subsequent class action lawsuits that's been filed around the retention of the DNA uh, so, our first concern is the way that the DNA was collected and the fact that the police used basically bullied uh, the workers to get their DNA and, second of all, um, as a result of a, another investigation into this uh, by the OIPRD, we found out that there is a database here in Toronto at the Centre for Forensic Science uh, that has kept the DNA samples forever. Uh, and we also found out subsequently that there is anywhere from seven to 12,000 other people um, whose DNA um, are kept in this database, uh, DNA samples rather. So um, last year uh, we we found out that we won the human rights case and the actions of the OPP, Ontario Provincial Police and the Solicitor General were found to be racist and discriminatory. Uh, the the um, vice chair of the human rights tribunal took issue that the workers did not have full consent. Um, it addressed the vulnerability of workers because of their tied work permits. And it also addressed the racism of the police actions we, um, over the last year, uh, the lawyer involved in this case, activist Shane Martinez, who is a phenomenal uh, lawyer, as is Tanya uh, Doma, Tania Doma, and the work that she's doing with immigration. Uh, Mr. Martinez uh, was able to negotiate a settlement which saw the destruction of the DNA for all 96 workers. Uh, it's important to go back one step earlier. Uh, this human rights tribunal application uh, involved 54 workers who came forward, uh, but as a result of the settlement, all 96 workers whose DNA was destroyed, uh, whose who DNA samples were taken, uh, their DNA was destroyed. Uh, there still is a class action lawsuit that's gonna happen later this year. Um, and this should be seen as an uh, issue that affects all of us uh, around privacy issues, around workplace issues. And the fact that uh, you know our, our, these, these type of databases exist where people who did nothing wrong that their DNA samples are being kept in the database uh, and we're told forever. So that's why these types of actions and organizing are critically important to put pressure on the state and to get changes.
0: That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on CJRU 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silva-Ponte. This episode was put together by myself. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.